0: After forthright views last week on failures in properly engaging with those not in farming, this week, equally forthright views and claims of another failure in the industry.
1: We're seen as being grumpy and miserable of standing with our hands out all the time looking for something.
0: More on getting new blood into agriculture in a moment, plus a new idea aimed at bringing those in farming together over, uh, not Brexit, uh, but breakfast.
2: The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale.
0: Hello. It's fair to say we caused a bit of a stir last week with the views of Professor Andrew Fern calling for a complete change in how farming engages with those not in the industry. The podcast is online if you missed it. Today, the question for you is, are you doing enough to help attract the next generation into agriculture? Obviously, the young farmers do sterling work, as does the Impact Group aimed at bringing in what that new blood. But uh, what about the wider industry? Is it doing enough? It's a question raised by William Hare of the East of England Agricultural Society. He's just launched a work experience idea for children near the showground there, as he feels there's a wider problem that needs addressing. We've become frustrated
1: about an apparent lack of young people coming into the industry. Employers keep saying they can't get young people, but they're actually doing nothing to try and encourage them to, to join. There's plenty of graduate schemes, but not everyone's a graduate and not necessarily... Graduates, you know, they're not necessarily required for a lot of the jobs that they are out there. It is about getting that young blood in, isn't it? Absolutely. I'm a firm believer that we don't know the problems that we're going to face, and I don't believe that the people that are in the industry currently that will have the the disconnect from the industry to actually deal with those. So The people we need to solve the problems of the future aren't within the industry. Um, there's, you know, we we keep getting tied historically to our industry. We need fresh minds, we need fresh thinking, and to be really, really small-minded about it. I'm fed up with Boeing and uh, all you know, um, Microsoft and so on. Everyone wants to work for them. They should be coming to work in agriculture because we've got a lot more to offer. Why do you think they're not coming in? Is it because we're not doing enough to attract them or perceptions? Does it not seem a sexy industry? We, we don't, we're seen as being grumpy and miserable and standing with our hands out all the time looking for something. And they think that it's either about milking cows, feeding pigs or driving a tractor. You know, they don't realise that the agriculture industry pretty much combines every other job you could have out there, from plumbers to electricians, accountants, solicitors, scientists. We now need people that can manage satellites, that can interpret data. Those jobs are all agricultural jobs, not as we know it, but they are, and that's the future, and we've got to show that to these young people, that actually you can come here, you can see some of those clear benefits, you can see what you're contributing to every day on your plate, and actually this is a really, really exciting and fast-paced industry to work in.
0: The REF have done it very well. If you think of their campaigns over the last few years of, you know, it's not just about flying the jets, but there is everything. All the services combined, the Army and the the, the Navy as well. That's the kind of message that needs to get across, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a bit jealous of the Army. They got their slogan before we did. (laughs) And uh, I would would
1: like to say we could use be the best instead. I won't fall out with them. But, um, yeah, they've they've, they've really... You know, they've broken it down. They've they've taken the parts, the bits apart. That it's not just about, you know, um, you know wandering or we're marching across a field or on a parade ground. There's a lot of trades behind those, and it's probably the trades that we want to get across. Though some of our trades are a lot more, you know, that they're quite professional trades. There's room for everybody in agriculture. You, know, it's it's the type of industry that. Can make people; it can give them a sense of pride and a sense of ownership, and they can see what they've done at, at the end of a day. And you know, it's a lot more rewarding than some of the career paths they could take. The reason they're not coming to us is because they don't know.
0: That's William Hare of the East of England Agricultural Society. It's hard to disagree with much of what William had to say. Really, there is far more to farming than just a man on a tractor. Sadly, that is still the image often portrayed, isn't it? Uh, Of course, it's not the case that nothing is being done about it. I mentioned the young farmers. Uh, We often chat on the programme with Steve Ward about the impact group growing ever stronger. And on Thursday evening, I was at the Farm Management Development Programme Alumni Dinner, which uh, was held at Rise Home. Chris Leaney is from the course sponsor, Hadley Farmers, also a trustee at uh, Phoenix Cobalt Trust. And he agrees uh, ideas such as the uh, Farm Management Development Programme is crucial Getting the next generation into the industry.
3: Oh, without doubt, and, it, and it's critical. But the problem is across the board, you know, whether it's tractor drivers, whether it's farm managers. Uh, I'm I'm a land agent by profession. We're struggling to, to recruit into that. Getting um get getting that uh, that young blood in is really difficult. But my Felix Cobble hat on, we've actually paid for a series of YouTube videos which are actually going out, um, interviewing various farms in various roles, and they're then being put into um, school and uh, colleges to try and get people to, uh, to come into the industry.
0: Yeah, it's, it's ideas like that, isn't it, getting them younger? Getting
3: oh, without younger. doubt. Yeah, yeah, you've got to get them when they're at schools. You, you've got to get the careers officers on board so that they actually promote farming. Um, it, it's, a ever challenge, it's,
0: it's a challenge, but we'll get there. Chris Leaney there, speaking at that dinner on Thursday evening, and we'll have more from the students at the Farm Management Development Programme on next week's programme. Back to this week's programme and uh, the latest from our agronomist,
4: Sean Sparling. Quite uh, quiet weather-wise, wasn't it, last week, Sean? Well, yes, good morning, Sean, and it was indeed, as you said last week, a benign week of weather. Warm nights, no frost, we've had temperatures up to 14, 15 degrees. Walking fields in mid-November in shirt sleeves is always a treat, and I've been doing it all week this week. Now, the net result of that, we did have some wind which complicated sprays, and we've had some heavy dews which complicates contact materials and fungicides on all seed rake. But all in all, it's been a really good week for growing crops. And you can see that from fields of wheat that went in 10 days ago, they're now green over. Um, and all of the seed beds really that we're looking at at the moment, if ever there was a, a season where everything's come together so well, that we've got nice, fine, firm, consolidated seed beds. That's perfect for pre emergence herbicides and getting the most out of them on blackgrass and broadleaf weeds and other grasses as they come through. The fine, firm seed bed consolidated, excellent for us in terms of holding back the slugs because they don't like that sort of seed bed. And warm soils as well. We've got soil temperatures at five to ten centimetres, around ten. 11 degrees that's great for growing crops deeper than that they're higher at 13 at 30 centimeters they're at 13 degrees plus and all of that bodes well. It's a perfect storm for getting winter cereal crops up and running and through the ground and heading towards the winter with a root system that'll stand it. And, you know, I've, I'm quite bullish at the moment. The, what I'm looking at in the field doesn't put any fear in me at all. I've, I think I'm happier with what I'm looking at in the field this autumn than I have been for a number of years, including how well the blackgrass has been controlled by delaying the drilling, the stale seed beds, and the applications, the well timed and well applied. Right. Uh, doses of pre-emergence herbicides slug activity very very low at the moment there is a lot of mildew out there in these forward crops don't worry about it the winter will deal with that for you Um, it always looks a lot worse than it is mildew in winter barley and winter wheat very rare you have to treat any of those crops but on some estuarine areas then you can get some issues with high levels of powdery mildew particularly it goes on to the new growth so speak to your advisor about that but in 99% of situations you're wasting your time and your money only putting a fungicide on um, moving on then to oilseed rape as i said been a windy week difficult for getting fungicides on noticeably more foamer and light leaf spot this week than there was last week so if you're going to do that job now's the time to do it. Is it too warm for propisamide curb? Yeah it still is in my opinion. It's not too warm for it not to work it will work but you've got other things to consider as well you've got a high soil moisture deficit well over 100 millimetres soil moisture deficit. It really needs to be wet soils, much much wetter than they are now and also 50 uh, millimetres is where you need to head and it needs to be falling. But also soil temperatures. I've said this before, at 30 centimetres, your soil temp needs to be about 8 degrees Celsius and falling. At the minute, they're 13 degrees down there. And at the 5 to 10 metre level, they're well above 10. It's too warm. It'll break down very, very quickly. You won't get that half-life of 100 days. You're going to be closer to 50 days. So just bear all those things in mind. Unless you're up against massive, deep-rooted blackgrass that's got away from you, you may just want to hold your fire until things get more suitable for the application of propizomide and the propizomide aminopyrrolid mixtures. Um, Disease wise that disease needs dealing with, if it's there in the crop, you've 1 in 10 plants affected you need to deal with that, but don't be tempted to waste your propizomide just for the sake of chucking it in with that mix to save yourself a pass it will work all the way through to the end of January and we are bound to get better conditions for it, both soil temperature and moisture wise between now and then Um, and also somebody said to me the other day if you drill winter wheat, a variety went away on the 31st of January it's a winter wheat. If you drill it on the 1st of February, technically it is a spring wheat. So if you drill spring barley in November, is that a winter barley? The answer to that question is no. It is spring barley. Now, I've never drilled spring barley as early as mid-November. I've drilled plenty in December. And what you can find is, particularly at the moment, we've mentioned soil temperatures. When it's warm like this, that spring barley crop doesn't need any vernalization, It'll be up and running. And you can end up with a very, very frothy crop going into next spring. Now, that does several things things. Lodging control becomes an issue, it'll pick up far more disease because it'll be exposed to that disease much earlier Um, and you can have real issues with top heavy crops going into the spring. Also the ear will start to develop much earlier so it'll be far more susceptible to those frosts that we're undoubtedly going to get January, February and March. So think about it very very carefully. It won't be a winter barley you're putting in, it'll be a spring barley with things as warm as they are at the moment if I had a choice, it wasn't for black grass reasons that I was considering spring barley. If I had a choice, I would always still stick with winter wheat until I hit that first week or so of December. Then I might consider spring barley. But just remember... If you're on black grass land, you may be better putting that spring barley on at the correct time anyway. Trouble is with this job, it's all about hindsight. And it's very easy to say, well, you know, the right thing to do was to drill it then rather than then. We, we won't know that until after the event. So hedge your bets. A little bit now, a little bit later. What's the harm in trying? Thank you. Uh, Sean Sparling
0: of Sparling Agronomy Services. Kit has the update from OpenField soon. First, blimey, is a fortnight past already? I fear so. Here's Kelly Houston Fisher from Anglian Water.
2: Good morning. Looking at our water quality data over this last fortnight, metaldehyde levels, the active ingredient in some slug pellets, are very variable. In our water sources in the east of the county, levels are low, yet moving across the county to the river Ancombe and the levels remain quite high. Water catchments can be very complex and the River Ancombe can see water transferred into it from the Trent, the Witham and the Barling's O at certain points in the year. Metaldehyde causes problems for water companies because it is not treatable with traditional treatment processes, as I've mentioned before on this programme. Another active used at this time of year is propizomide, for example, in Curb, and this is difficult to treat. Anglian Water currently have a pesticide amnesty running. It is for farms in a specific area. So if you have any pesticides you would like to get rid of, please contact either myself on 07802 856663 or David Brown at ChemClear Limited on 07436 076932 and check if you are eligible for the amnesty. As always and as a reminder, please check if your land is in a surface water or groundwater safeguard zone by using the what's ba- what's in your backyard website. Thank you and I'll be back in a fortnight with another water quality update.
0: Thanks Kelly, Kelly Houston Fisher with our water quality update. I've the answer as to why I had a full English round at John O'Dixon's in a moment first the latest from Open Field with Kit Dickinson this week. Hello Kit, good morning Sean, how are you? I'm all right. How are things looking?
5: Not too bad, thank you. Uh, Since my last broadcast on the radio, the wheat market has continued to slip away, despite what looks like a positive outlook going forward into the new year. So what are the fundamental factors? We've seen two ethanol plants that have closed in quick succession, which has brought a substantial amount of wheat back into the domestic market. Looking outside the UK, both China and India have announced that they are using their stocks rather than importing, which has meant wheat availability for the rest of the world is very accessible, again, bringing the UK price down. Looking forward to post-Christmas, which is only just round the corner now, both positive and negative points to look at. On a positive note, the UK has enough wheat in order to supply our domestic market, and if this gets tight in the new year, it will be a simple case of supply and demand. 2018 has seen a severe drought across the board, with the beast from the east, an extremely wet spring and a drought in the summer which has meant a poor year for livestock farmers unable to cut hay or silage. This has meant more demand for the feed grains and processed animal food, again giving support to our pricing structure. Brexit negotiations this week have seen the pound weaken, giving more support to our wheat market. But how long will this last? Looking from a negative point of view, the UK has imported circa 800,000 tonnes already this season. As I said earlier, just giving the UK market enough supply. There is also Brexit, the all-important topic we've been discussing for the last two years. How will this affect our agricultural policy in terms of import-export tariffs and, as I mentioned earlier, the strength of the pound, which will either create or destroy any trade opportunity. Further forward to 19 crop, the key thing to consider at this point is the amount of wheat that has been drilled this autumn. Some reports have said there has been a 5% rise in winter wheat area. If this is the case, with good yield and quality, we will see a glut of wheat this time next year again bringing our price down. Turning our focus to rapeseed, a UFOP oilseed association survey has reduced their German winter rapeseed 2019 plantation area by 18.1% to around 1 million hectares. Unusually dry autumn weather conditions following this summer's heat wave have meant that the ground is too parched to carry out rapeseed sowings in some areas. We have also seen many hectares of oilseed rape affected in the UK by dry weather, flea beetle or poor establishment conditions this year. The question will be how much area of all-seed rape has been reduced and what will we see harvested next year. Beans have stayed buoyant with consumers trying to find specific high-quality parcels which are few and far between this season. The Egyptians are the main buyers at present looking for a full season's cover which, when obtained, will bring prices back to UK domestic homes. Prices this week, feed wheat for November 163-165, to 165, February 19, 166-168, May 169 to 171 and November 148 to 152. Milling premiums for group ones are still circa £14. Pounds. Barley, feed barley, still very high prices at 158 to 160 with February 163 to 165 and May 168 to 170 trading only one to £2 pounds behind the feed wheat base. Malting premiums are 26 to £32. Pounds. Oil seed rape: November 318 to 320, February 323 to 325, May 324 to 326, and new crop November 19, 315. Beans: November 212 to 217, February 217 to 220, and May 218 to 221. Human consumption premiums for the very best quality on a 555 are between 40 and 50 pounds. Please ask your Open Field representative for a specific price.
0: Thanks for that, Kit Dickinson from Open Field. Right, a question for you. What do you get when you bring a college principal, a grain merchant, a regional manager of the RABI, a direct drilling contractor, a B&B owner, a former Agricultural Student of the Year at the Yorkshire Show, the co founders of Club Hector, and the presenter of a certain farming programme on the radio all together for breakfast? Well, the answer could be found at the home of Sunk Island farmer Jono Dixon last weekend. Jono invited us for breakfast and to chat all things agriculture, but why? I came up with an idea a couple of weeks ago about how can we perhaps
3: get a a circle of people from the younger ones like Bex and Alison to, like, myself to raise a bit of money for charity, but by sitting round a table rather than 100 people here... 1500 people there whatever what we've managed to do this morning is learnt about allison's climb up the ladder we've heard about becker's grain trading christopher with the worshipful company of farmers and oxford farming uh for a change i guess i've been very quiet but <laughs> i have my little passion for cooking and i hope everybody goes home and hope we haven't poisoned them um, it's a
0: good way to chat, is it? A bit of networking, it, it and they say all ages, really just talking about an industry clearly everyone in that room is passionate about.
3: Plus, yeah, plus the fact that Alison didn't know anybody at all, uh, probably Bill, but to have Bishop's and Riceholm's input with, with Bill being here, I think that's given everybody an insight as to what we all do, and Richard, obviously, with his... Uh, experience of his cultivations, and then going to no till and this, that, and the other. And, and I think we've all learnt a lot this morning. And the aim is hopefully, you know, Club Hector groups around the country could do this. Anybody could do it, really, couldn't We, we. haven't done it on for Club Hector, frankly, right. mm-hmm. you know, even though, yeah, it seems to have been taken on board by a few Club Hector members, which is good. I'd like to think that others within the membership will think, hang on, we can actually do this. And it doesn't have to be, you know, if we'd had four people here this morning, we'd have sat in the kitchen. We've had eight plus myself and Bev.
0: And so we've used the dining room, which has been lovely. John O'Dixon, there, the man behind the idea of the first ever Eat, Chat, Tweet event last weekend. Think um, four in a bed, you know, on the TV. But without the overnight stay, just the breakfast. Oh, and no scoring. That would just be unfair. Now sat around the breakfast table As well as Jono and myself Was uh, Sally Connor of the RABI North East Bishop Burton's principal Bill Meredith Christopher Day of the Manor House B&B Rebecca Pierce from Openfield Alison Woodall, land producer One time student of the year at the Great Yorkshire Show Direct drilling contractor Richard Bolden and Chris Hewis, who co founded Club Hector with Jono. The conversation flowed for a good couple of hours, I have to say, and all had a story to tell, especially on current pressures facing agriculture. When I was
3: a young farmer in the 80s, you could be a perfectly good farmer knowing how to drive your tractors, sow your crops, mm-hmm. mend your machinery, mm-hmm. keep your VAT returns, and run a very successful business. But now, mm-hmm. there's so much more to the job. Mm-hmm. All that is still vital. But was it's I reckoned I would spent about a third of my time actually doing practical farm work. Mm. Mm. The rest of it was admin record keeping planning. Bad,
4: bad, blah blah mm. blah. Not necessarily productive stuff.
0: But I, I think what's important is for each individual farming business to identify the bits that they want to do mm. and the bits that they don't enjoy
4: doing and, yeah. and then get somebody else to do that for them. And, mm. and so they enjoy what they're doing and the bits that they don't enjoy doing then get somebody to do it for but them. That involves cost then. Sorry? No. It's exactly. There is a cost, but they, they're gonna to have to weigh that up. If they don't yeah. want to do it, they're gonna to have to take the cost. That's yeah. it, that's yeah. it. That it.
6: does involve cost, but actually what the other thing it does do is to involve the, your wife or your other partner. Yeah. And very often, I bang, bang the drum massively about the role of a farmer's wife within a farming family because that wife, has so much pressure on her because often it is the guy that goes out and crafts and then it is the farmer's wife who actually does all the the wages. She has a full-time job as well because they've got to have another income onto their farm. Um, She does all the housework. She does the da-da-da. You've heard all that. And she, if there is a... Um, if there is a, a debt problem or any problem, she often hides that away from her farmer because he's. what well, I'm talking about livestock guys here. I know, you know, because I, I do see a lot of a lot of what goes on with the the, the um, smaller farms and you know, she's hiding that, that debt and that problem from him because he's working so hard. She do not admit, actually, what's going on with the farm. And very often it is a farmer's wife that rings us up as a charity and says, I've had enough, can't do it. And so, mm-hmm. yes, you know, you say split and you say get somebody else to do it, there is a cost. And I think one of the things that is going to be a big cost to farmers is your, your tax returns, your monthly tax returns, because... They are going to have to employ somebody to do those tax returns. Yeah. Well, they can't afford to do that, and I think that I know the budget's um, delayed it till twenty twenty, haven't they? Mm. And yes, and mm. so that to me is another massive cost for you small farmers monthly tax um, returns. But people yeah. don't think about the cost of them, yeah. and that's going to have a big impact on the little the little guys.
0: I hope you could hear them there. I hope you got a, a flavour really of the conversation that did flow. Last weekend. And if you are under pressure, as mentioned at the end by uh, Sally Connor of the RABI, then of course, charities such as the RABI and others are there for that very reason and a confidential chat. You'll find all their contact details online. John O's aim is to encourage such breakfast gatherings, sparking similar debates up and down the country and raising money for charity as well. Our breakfast last weekend, for example, raised £120 for RABI, so well worthwhile. Though um, it is now making me hungry once again. It's fair to say. O cooks a mean full English, I have to say.
2: The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast.
0: Well, it's been fairly mild, but uh, the wind is turning more from the east, and that does mean it's going to cool down this week. Sunshine today, we're looking at temperatures of around 11 Celsius. As I say, though, that wind from the east making it feel cooler, 15 gusting at 25 miles an hour. Clear skies at first this evening, but clouding over later. Lows of seven, that wind still from the east-northeast, 10 to 20 miles an hour cloudy tomorrow maybe a shower but it should be mostly dry we're looking at uh, highs of eight celsius so cooler than today the easterly wind continuing between uh, 15 and 20 miles an hour and then overnight again cooler six degrees the wind continuing from the east at about 10 miles an hour Possibility of some rain on Tuesday, but mostly dry. Seven, the high, the wind from the northeast, 10 to 15 miles an hour. And then uh, overcast again overnight. We're looking at temperatures of around five Celsius, might even be four Celsius of frost on Wednesday if that cloud cover does lift. The wind from the north, northeast, 10 to 15 miles an hour possibility again of a shower or two come wednesday a misty end to the day as well seven the high the wind continuing from the east northeast uh, 10 to 15 miles an hour and then the latter end of the week more of the same really staying cold with that uh, easterly wind daytime highs seven or eight celsius if we're lucky overnight lows nearer five degrees it could change though there is a warning of that beast from the east returning will it our hourly update will keep updated through the week Our last word this week goes to a friend of the programme, Alex Albone, at Piper's. PepsiCo has bid for the crisp and snack company, subject to approval from the Competition and Markets Authority. It's rumoured the bid is in the region of £20 million. Not bad for Alex and uh, the two fellow farmers who set up the business almost 15 years ago in what was the ultimate farm diversification idea. Here he is speaking to this programme at the Lincolnshire Show back in June.
4: Seems all a very long time ago now, yes, yes. 2004, 9th of April 2004. Always when we first deliver Chris to Abbey Park Farms in East Seckington, who get a mention every time we ever say anything. But yes, we're in 39 countries now, as well as uh, but we about 14,000 retailers in the UK. Lots of people that we deliver directly to, also through wholesalers. But we now go as far afield as um, I think we've made deliveries to New Zealand. We do. We go to China. We go to places in the Middle East, and we go to America. All sorts of. Things. France is really strong for us at the moment, uh, and we're doing uh, lots of stuff in Scandinavia as well, oddly.
0: Alex Osborne at Piper's speaking back in June. A real farming success story, if the reported figure is true. It's the Midlands Machinery Show at Newark in the week. If you're going, I might see you there. If not, I'll be here same time next week with another farming programme for you. Until then, take care.